Every decision they make can have an effect on our lives. Well, I'm not a crook. We had to push and shove our way through a crowd of several hundred Vietnamese. My fellow Americans, I've said on several occasions that I wouldn't comment about the recent congressional hearings on the Iran-Contra matter. Skies over Baghdad have been illuminated. I did not have sexual relations with that woman. Immediately, there's speculation or cause for concern. This is the World Trade Center that was the center of a terrorist bombing. What difference at this point does it make? Protesters have now broken into the U.S. Capitol. This is Our Lives in Politics on the America Out Loud Network with your host Booker Scott and Lou Basada. As I look and listen at the current hearings taking place in Washington, D.C. by the Republican majority, I can't help but think about Benghazi. You know, Benghazi happened in 2012, and what happened there, we should never forget. Ambassador Chris Murphy was killed along with three other Americans. And the result of the Benghazi hearing was a Hillary Clinton soundbite. You just heard it right there in our opening. Other than that, there was some political fodder for the Republicans going into the 2016 election. These current hearings, they need some teeth. We demand accountability. Without it, it's just more politics. Last week, I featured hearings that absolutely prove Fauci lied and is still covering up. Where's that accountability? I also featured a hearing that proved Joe Biden's White House instructed Twitter to remove a tweet. Our government literally censored American people. Where's that accountability? On this program, I'll feature a couple of hearings with more proof for you. And this time, the only accountability I'll accept is the resignation or the impeachment process of Mayorkas. The debacle that is the human crisis at the border, where over 1,400 human beings have lost their life. Over 120,000 Americans have died from fentanyl overdoses. That's a drug that's made in China, and it crosses the southern border daily. And what about 266,000 unaccompanied children? They've crossed the border, and all of those numbers I just shared with you, that's just two years. In just two years, all of that's happened. We need to start seeing some real accountability and less sound bites from these Republicans on Capitol Hill. Also in the second half of this hour, I've asked for some help from a doctor of divinity. We'll use his knowledge and discernment to answer the question, are these the end times? You know, I've seen your comments, and I hear you. I know some of you believe that these are the end times. It's a crazy world we're living in right now, and it seems to be there's a battle between good and evil, and maybe the evil is winning right now. We'll get some insights from Dr. Willie Rice in just a bit. This hour is brought to you by 4 It's a company I endorse because I believe in them and I believe in their great products, but mostly I believe in how they'll take care of you. Go to 4 and if you see something you can use or want, use the promo code OUTLOUD for a 10% discount at 4 Now, quickly, back to the human crisis at the border, where so many lives have been lost and more will die today. You'd think that any human being would want to get to the bottom of it. We would want it to stop, especially politicians that are in charge of stopping things like this, regardless of political party. And guess what? Now, this was supposed to be a full committee. But as you can see, the Democrats are not here. They decided... To not, to not show. Why? Well, they said coming here was just a political stunt. You tell me. Taking a hearing 
to the point of the crisis for a first-hand view are boycotting a hearing because you know we're going to shine a light on the truth. Which of those is the political stunt? I'd say the political stunt is these empty chairs. That's Representative Mark Green from Tennessee shining the light on the Democrats not being at the hearing. He didn't stop there. He continued on in these remarks. The Democrats also talk about bipartisanship how this committee is supposed to be a bipartisan committee. I guess for them, bipartisanship is only when you agree exactly with them. To me, bipartisanship is where you sit down together and debate the issues and talk to try to find common ground and solutions. You can't have bipartisanship if the other side fails to show up for their duty. So the Democrats try to make a political stunt out of this when we've had so much death from the crisis at the border, from the human crisis at the border. Again, 1,400 immigrants crossing have given their life trying to cross the border. And it is a problem, and it's a problem for all Americans. Let's hear what Chief Ortiz says of the Border Patrol. What was happening here in South Texas as a humanitarian crisis, a border crisis, and I was very candid and I said that I think we have a bit of a policy crisis. It's pretty obvious that when Joe Biden took office, the construction of the wall at the border, Trump's wall, was shut down. Let's hear what Chief Ortiz says about that. Under the prior administration, we had 200-plus wall that was appropriated, and the President of the United States, President Biden, by executive order, shut that down. Do you disagree with his decision to shut down the construction? Yes, sir. A few minutes ago, I mentioned Mayorkas and impeachment. Well, let's get into that. Let's set this up with uh, Representative Mark Green, who is the chairman of this committee. Does DHS have operational control of our entire border? No, sir. Okay. Thank you for that. Um, I'd like to share it with the American people. This is the actual definition of operational control that is in the code, written into the code well before I came to Congress, the definition, and I appreciate the honesty of Chief Ortiz. What you can't see there is what Representative Mark Green put up for everyone to see. I'm going to read it to you now. This is the operation control definition. In this section, the term operational control means the prevention of all unlawful entries into the United States, including entries by terrorists, other unlawful aliens, instruments of terrorism, narcotics, and other contraband. So that's the definition of it. You just heard there that Chief Ortiz said and testified under oath that they do not have operational control. Will you testify under oath right now, do we have operational control, yes or no? Yes, we do. And we have operational control of the borders. Yes, we do. And That's Congressman Chip Roy. He is questioning in another hearing at another time, Mayorkas, right there, he's lying under oath. Let's continue on with the questioning with Mark Green to Chief Ortiz. Chief Ortiz, do you think that uh, Secretary Mayorkas is lying there? Sir, when you talk about operational control, about 10 years ago, we used operational control as a measuring stick of our effectiveness along the southwest border. Uh, my new strategy is geared towards um, uh, mission advantage. So, you you know, I, I, I'm asking a very specific question, yes, and I, I, you're, you're kind of describing how, how, how the goalpost has been moved because of the mass waves of people that are coming. My question, you heard the secretary. He said we have operational control. That's the definition of operational control. Based upon the definition you have, sir, up there, no. We don't have operational control. No, sir. But is Secretary Mario Klein? 
I don't. I didn't see the rest of the testimony there, sir. He so was at. You, you saw. He was asked if we had operational control, and he said yes. I, I think it's either it's either ignorance, which is unacceptable, or it's lying. It isn't ignorance. He's lying, and he should be impeached for what's happened at the border under Joe Biden. There has to be some control at the border, and it should happen really fast because it is detrimental. To children. I mentioned 266,000 unaccompanied children. Let's listen to what a Border Patrol agent testified to under oath. We, we see a lot of stuff out there that the average person doesn't see. Um, I think that what hits mo- pe- folks hardest is what happens with the children we see. We see a lot of young kids coming across three, four, five years old, seven years old that are unaccompanied. Their parents are already here in the United States and they, they send them by themselves. And who knows about the uh, hundreds, if not thousands more that, that never make it through. So that, that I think is more on the mental aspect of it, uh, as well as some of the physical. Um, it, it's a difficult job. It's increasingly getting harder by the fact that we're not in a position to do the job that that we were trained to do i mean we're i think the border patrol is is the only union you're ever going to see in, in the history of unions that is actually asking for more work where we're just just let us work let us do our job five million people have come across the border since joe biden has become president 1400 deaths of people trying to cross the border but then marjorie taylor green came up with a line of questioning that i think is classified information listen closely here to marjorie taylor green chief ortiz are you aware that there was an explosive device found by border patrol agents on january 17th in an area called no man's land and there's surveillance of who put it there and guess what it wasn't americans it was cartels are you aware of that Thank you, Congresswoman, and good to see you again. I will tell you that uh, some of this information that uh, I receive, I receive in a, a, a confidential uh, skiff, so I'm going to be a little hesitant of briefing what I know and what I don't know with respect to some of those, an event like that. I understand, Chief Ortiz, but I'm not going to be confidential because I think people deserve to know. Our Border Patrol agents should not be in those type of conditions where they are at risk of being blown to pieces by the cartels, who, by the way, are criminals. And the last one before we move on to other subjects like the Ways and Means hearings that took place with Janet Yellen, which we'll get to in just a minute, here is Debbie Wasserman Schultz, who has to answer some questions still about the Awan brothers and that laptop, in my opinion. But here's how the Democrats are spinning drugs at the border. The majority, Jose, as you know, of drugs, which is absolutely something we have to stop, are coming across the border, mostly carried by Americans, at our, our actual border crossings. So that's where we need to get a handle on this. And we need to, and Democrats have put more resources into the Border Patrol the last several fiscal years. We need Republicans to come to the table and work with us on comprehensive immigration reform. Comprehensive immigration reform would be a great idea. And I know people on both sides of the aisles have said that for years and it's time to get to work on it if you if you pay attention to what she said most of the drugs are by americans at our crossings that's not the issue it's the drugs coming in where they are not supposed to cross they're coming across a wide open border but yes there does need to be bipartisan immigration reform let's start with signature bank this is a New York-based commercial bank, but it's got uh, 36 private client offices sprinkled across the New York metro area, California, and North Carolina. 
The thing about Signature is that it's a business-oriented bank. And to the extent that they have a consumer business, it's focused on the wealthy, namely business owners and senior executives who do a lot of business. And you can make a lot of money working with them. That's Jim Cramer of CNBC giving a hot take and a hot tip about six months ago about Signature Bank in New York. Of course, Signature Bank was another bank that federal regulators came in and shut down after SVB went out of business and went under in California. And interesting what he said about the type of people that they attract in their business. Business owners and senior level executives, people with money, the wealthy, I would say that they are doing business with people that are into the Green New Deal, into the wokeness. And I think it's proven that they are into ESG. What did Donald Trump say about all this? Was he a prophet? All of this incredible job that we've done will go down like that. It will be a terrible, terrible sight. It might even be a 1929 situation, so you have a chance to have the greatest numbers in history. You're almost there, uh, but you'll have a crash like you've never seen before. You put the wrong person in office, you'll see things that you would not have believed are possible. Donald Trump has been right about almost everything. You put the wrong people in office, and you see what's happening. It's happening everywhere, from the border to our banking to our children. Do you have any confidence in people like Jerome Powell, the Fed chairman? Or what about Janet Yellen? She's our Secretary of Treasury. Do you have any confidence in her? Both of them were running around for six months, eight months, saying it was transitory inflation. And here we are two years later paying 15 to 20 percent more for everything. Inflation hasn't gone anywhere. Let me be clear that um, during the financial crisis, um, there were um, investors um, and owners of systemic large banks that were bailed out and we're certainly not looking and uh, the reforms that have been put in place means that we're not going to do that again but we are concerned about depositors and are focused on uh, trying to meet their needs. Can you say whether these problems were unique to, to Silicon Valley Bank or can you say whether there will be other regional bank failures? Well, look, let me just say that we want to make sure that the troubles that exist at one bank don't create contagion uh, to others that are sound, uh, can't occur. So do you have a lot of confidence there? And she started that with, let me be clear. When they say, let me be clear, let me be clear. You can guarantee that a lie is about to come out of someone's mouth. Let me be clear. So when you look at the bailout that happened, let's call it a bailout. Let's call it what it is. Now, Joe Biden is saying that the bailout, it won't come from the American people. They're just going to add some bank fees on. The banks will pay it. Of course, we all know banks don't pay any fees. We pay the fees to the banks, and then the banks will pass it through to take care of this problem with SVB and Signature Bank. And, and who else will go down? There's two or three that probably will. And I guess we'll just keep bailing them out. The interesting part here is if this was a credit union in Arkansas, Mississippi, Alabama, Tennessee, Missouri, in one of those states, with people by the name of Bubba. And and don't take offense to that. My younger sister has always called me Bub or Bubba, so I'm right there with you. I'm not, not poking fun at anyone named Bubba. I'm just saying that 
I don't think Janet Yellen and Joe Biden would come to the rescue so fast to us as they have the people that are connected at the hip. And when you look at SVB in particular, at the board of directors, and how much money they have given to the Democrats, there is a clear connection. According to amazing new analysis from the Claremont Institute, Silicon Valley Bank, brace yourself, spent more than $73 million on donations to BLM and related organizations. Wow! And this is not personal funds. Apparently these are bank funds. Might be kind of nice to have that money now. But it's hard to argue, even in retrospect, now that SVB has failed, that that was a bad investment. Because even now, as banks are collapsing, no one in media is anxious to criticize banks, almost no matter what they do. It doesn't matter what they do. Obviously, that's Tucker Carlson pointing out those very cozy, close connections with SVB. Interesting thing. Voto Presidento Maria Teresa Kumar. And she also kind of validates exactly what Tucker Carlson said. If you actually you look at which bank this is, this is the Silicon Valley Bank. This is a startup bank. This is also oftentimes the Democratic ATM bank of all those investors. And uh, I'm sorry, I didn't didn't catch that. This is also oftentimes the Democratic ATM bank. First, we worked with the Federal Reserve and FDIC to protect all depositors of the two failed banks. On Monday morning, customers were able to access all of the money in their deposit accounts so they could make payroll and pay the bills. Shareholders and debt holders are not being protected by the government. Importantly, no taxpayer money is being used or put at risk with this action. And we absolutely know that there is no truth to that. Where exactly does the government get money? The government gets money from the taxpayers. The government gets money from us. They're not generating income anywhere else, are they? Not that I know of, but let's take a look at Janet Yellen. Let's look at her timeline. And this is put together by MAGA Nancy on Twitter, at 45LVNancy. Let's go back to 2018. Yellen's protege is Mary Daly, the same Daly that is the head of the San Francisco Federal Reserve right now, who has been very, very busy on climate change and diversity and inequities, but not regulating banks like SVB. Back to March of 2021, Yellen called climate change an existential threat and the biggest emerging risk to the health of the U.S. financial system. June 21, she calls inflation transitory rather than permanent. June 22, just a year later, Yellen regrets calling inflation transitory, saying we are all facing unacceptable levels of inflation. No kidding. January 2023, she's digging in to oversee billions in federal climate and infrastructure spending, saying she believes it will transform the economy. Now keep in mind, the infrastructure bill included $370 billion to Green New Deal ideas. And behind that money, a guy by the name of John Podesta. Podesta connected with the Clintons, connected with Obama. So Obama puts his guy into the Biden administration to dole out $370 billion. In February of this year, 2023, Yellen goes to Ukraine with $1.25 billion to Ukraine. When was the last time that you remember uh, Secretary of Treasurer going to Ukraine? Or when Merrick Garland went? When was the last time an Attorney General or Secretary of Treasurer went to a war zone? Did they go to Afghanistan for 20 years? I don't think so. 
And in March of this year, March 7th, climate change could trigger asset value losses, harming the U.S. economy. And last week, last week, during a hearing for the Ways and Means, she's talking about how strong banking is in America as SVB is collapsing. Last year, Democrats in Congress rammed through $80 billion in mandatory funding for the IRS after your department asked for it in conjunction with the president's first budget proposal. Your plan called for the IRS to monitor nearly every American bank account, to hire 87,000 new employees, and to audit over a million more Americans each year with the majority falling on working class Americans. The IRS still hasn't given me the plan for the $80 billion and how that $80 billion will be spent. That's Jason Smith. He is the chairman of the House Ways and Means Committee, which is a very powerful committee in the U.S. Congress. And you hear there that the IRS and Janet Yellen there, Secretary of Treasury, have no plan for the $80 billion that they got in the budget last year in the omnibus. And the 87,000 additional agents, and some people believe that they're all carrying guns, there's no evidence of that anywhere that we can find. However, there is no plan for anything. They haven't hired anyone of those 87,000 agents yet because they don't even have a plan for the $80 billion. Now they're asking for an additional $40 billion in the 24 budget. Also, another line of questioning there, and you heard it in Jason Smith's comments about the auditing of Americans and how really they said, if you remember back, and this is going to get into some lies that we're going to talk about in a few minutes, but they said originally that they were going to audit. They needed more agents to audit more people and not just mom and pops and Main Street in America, but they wanted to, to audit the big money. We're going to find out that is not the case. So are you talking about the total number of audits or are you talking about the <laughs> proportion of audits on families and small businesses uh, under $400,000. I'm talking about the proportion of those um, small businesses and families. Okay, so um, the proportion, I mean, just for the record, the proportion is 90%. So 90% of the new audits uh, will be, you know, according to, according to the data, that we can expect uh, up to 90% of new audits uh, to to be on those uh, making less than $400,000. That's Representative Adrian Smith from Nebraska questioning Yellen there. And I want you to know that I watched two hours and 45 minutes of a very boring hearing so that you wouldn't have to. The total total time on it was about three hours and 15 minutes. So I saw most of it. And every time that a Democrat would question Yellen, they would always praise her for being a woman and being fantastic in her job and doing a great job for the country. Well, there was one Republican that came with a little bit of a different approach. And keep in mind, this was National Women's Day when this hearing was happening. So everyone was praising her for being a woman, except... You know, for a party that can't even define what a woman is, I find it rich that some of my Democrat colleagues want to highlight International Women's Day uh, and go after as if we are supposed to go soft on the secretary today. I'm going to demand that everybody treat us as equals and don't demean us just because we were born with ovaries. I don't care if it is International Women's Month. It's disturbing that this administration continues to peddle the big lie that people making less than $400,000 are not paying more in taxes. And so there's that $400,000 a year. If you make less than that, you're not going to pay taxes, not more taxes. 
Of course, that's not true. Something else there I think worth mentioning was the proportion of people getting audits. 90% of the new audits are going to be for people making less than $400,000. That's who most audits are done to now. So 90% of 1 million more is what they want. So that's 900,000 more audits of people making less than $400,000 a year. I mentioned at the top of this hour that a lot of you are concerned about where things are now in society, in this country, in this world. Are we seeing the end times? And it's a, it's a good question. I completely understand. And like I said, I hear you. I see you. I know you're asking those questions and a lot of you believe it. You know, when it spills into common culture, popular culture, and into music and television and things like that, other people are becoming aware that something is is wrong, something is different. Well, recently, as recent as last week, as a matter of fact, John Rich is uh, he's a part of the Big and Rich, the country music artist. John Rich, you may know him. He does a TV show on Fox Nation. Also, a guy by the name of Tom McDonald, who is a rapper. You may know him. Okay, these two guys couldn't be more opposite. It's the odd couple of 2023, but together, because of the things that they see and the, the, the concern they have for this country, they create a song. And let's take a listen to it. I'm going to play you about a minute, minute and a half of this and, and pay attention to the words in this song that John Rich and Tom McDonald ask. Judgment day is coming. You can run or you can stand and fight. Panic in the dark or leave rebellions by the candlelight. This ain't your granddaddy's planet Earth. It's black and white. The end is coming. I'll see y'all in the afterlife. It's the end of the world I know that I have lived my life to the fullest Yeah, the fullest We stood on top of mountains We've been to space before We had our dogs and houses We dug up dinosaurs We built those bombs are dropping We fought in all their wars Now that the sky's falling What did we do? John Rich, Tom McDonald, and a brand new song that they have out and a lot of good questions there. And you know, January marked the third time that a power station in North Carolina was damaged by gunfire. And authorities are saying the attack raises a new level of threat and they're checking our grid for vulnerabilities. And they've identified nine key substations that if these substations are attacked, power could be knocked out from coast to coast for up to 18 months. A blackout lasting not just days, but weeks or months. Can you imagine that? Your life would be frozen at that very moment. Lights all over the country would go out, throwing people into complete darkness. That's why having your own portable solar power right now is more important than ever. 
With a Patriot Power Sidekick from 4Patriots, you get a solar generator that doesn't install in your house. It's quick, easy, portable, on the go or inside. It's small. It's about the size of a lunchbox, but it's really powerful. Powerful enough for your phones, medical devices, or even that mini fridge. It comes with a free solar panel and free shipping and a practically unheard of 365-day satisfaction guarantee. And not only that, but you can get 10% off your first purchase by typing in the code OUTLOUD at checkout. Just go to 4 and use the code OUTLOUD to get your 10% off your first purchase of that Patriot Power Sidekick or anything else in that store. That's 4 Use the code OUTLOUD at checkout. And we'll have more of our lives and politics in just a moment. We're going to bring Dr. Willie Rice in to answer some of those questions about the end of the world, the end of this country. That conversation is next on the America Out Loud Network. We know you love the versatility and portability of the Genesis Fogger, but sometimes you just want to set it and forget it. Well... We heard you. Introducing the UX4 HOCL Atomizer. This stationary unit quietly protects you and is perfect for smaller spaces. With over a quarter million units sold in Japan, it's now available in the United States. Visit genesisfogger.com forward slash out loud to see the UX4 in action and receive a 15% discount on either Fogger with promo code OUTLOUD. With Genesis, you're ready for anything. Whether you're an independent, a Democrat, or a Republican, one thing remains true. Airborne viruses love us equally. You've all heard Malcolm and the great Dr. Peter McCullough talk about the advanced nasal solution, Cofix RX. Cofix is made in the USA and recommended by thousands of doctors and pharmacists nationwide. Did you know that doctors and nurses have been swabbing their noses with povidone iodine to protect from airborne threats like colds, flus, and pandemic era strains for decades? Cofix RX took that idea and made a more complete nasal formula with lasting cleansing effects. Maybe you're traveling soon or going to an event. Are you concerned somebody nearby might be sick? Maybe the office or classroom stresses you out. Get yourself a bottle of Cofix RX nasal solution. Spray goodbye to colds and flus with a Cofix RX nasal solution cleanse. That's cofixrx.com. Save 20% by using promo code out loud at cofixrx.com. Oral hygiene hasn't changed in 50 years, but our diet and the way we eat has, creating an environment in your mouth for bacteria to wreak havoc on your teeth and gums. For better oral health, get Spry Dental Defense, an oral care line designed to combat acid-creating bacteria. The toothpaste, mouthwash, mints, and gum all contain xylitol, a natural ingredient shown to dramatically improve oral health. Spry can be found online and at all fine natural retailers. It was Henry Wadsworth Longfellow that said, Lives of great men all remind us we can make our lives sublime and departing, leave behind us footprints on the sands of time. America Out Loud Talk Radio, the liberty and justice for all. Welcome back to Our Lives of Politics on the America Out Loud Radio Network. 
This is Booker Scott, your host here for this hour. And you know, this show is our lives and politics, which means we can do a little bit of both. We can do things about our lives. We can do things about politics. And this may be a half hour that we do a little bit more about our lives. As we look around this world and we see what's happening, we see uprisings of people in places like Iran and China and Brazil. That's just happened in the last three months. And we look in Turkey, in Syria, and we see an earthquake with over 30,000 people have passed away. And, and that number continues to go up as they find them. And we really have to start asking ourselves, what is going on? We see things in their, our own country where there are social issues that seem like we're living in an upside down world. It, it, it makes you dizzy when you think about it. And I know a lot of you because I see your comments and I hear you. I know a lot of you think these are the end times and you go to the book of revelations and you start reading and you start trying to find, uh, here's this war, here's that earthquake. And I understand and I completely get it, but you know, answering those questions are over my head. So I've asked for some help for this half hour. And I've asked a man that I have a ton of respect for. This gentleman is a doctor. And most importantly, he's a pastor of a church, and it happens to be the church that I go to. He is my pastor of Calvary Church in Clearwater, Florida. It's a church that we went to visit over three years ago. At the time, my daughter, I think she was about seven, and she kept dragging us back as we were visiting congregations. And we ended up going there and staying there. And I can say that uh, Dr. Pastor Willie Rice has helped my spiritual journey and my walk with Christ Jesus. And Dr. Pastor Willie Rice, I don't know what to call you, but welcome to the program. <laughs> Just anything will do. God's <laughs> an honor to be with you, and uh, thank you for the privilege. Yes, sir. And and you heard me talking there about all the things that we see, and people are, they have this fear. And I don't know that it's a fear, but some people relax and think, okay, well, Jesus is coming back any minute. And I, I, in World War One, in World War Two, even back to the Civil War, every time there's something happening in our country or in the world, people go to the book of Revelations and think, okay, these are the end times. And I know listening to, by the way, Willie Rice here did a series on Revelations last year. It was, I think, eight, 10 sermons, and it was a great job. I, I am intimidated by Revelations, but he made it where I'm not so intimidated anymore. He made it real simple because a lot of times he will say, I just don't know the answer, so let's go to the Bible. Pastor Rice, what does the Bible say? <laughs> well, it says a lot, and uh, th thanks for the kind words. Uh, hey, this is a question that has I've been asked for a long time. This is not a new question. This is not a question that we're the first generation to ask. In fact, they ask it, uh, uh, it, it obviously, in biblical times, and uh, maybe particularly pertinent to us is they ask it of Jesus. His own disciples ask him this question. Um, they ask him, it, it was one of the big questions they ask him. Uh, in the just even the time immediately leading up to his death, going to the cross, they ask a question about, um, you know, they, there was a day they walked into the temple, which would have been the largest structure any of them had ever seen. So if we can think of some of the, one of the most impressive buildings you've ever seen, and Jesus said, but I'm telling you the day's coming when, when, uh, these, you know, there's not going to be one rock upon another. In other words, this building is going to be demolished. So you can imagine, um, like in the United States, if someone said that about the white house or the Capitol 
or uh, the Dallas you know, Cowboys uh, st- uh, Stadium, <laughs> <laughs> whatever is the biggest, most extraordinary, and and not just that, but the most important edifice in an entire culture. This was the most important building these guys had ever seen. Yeah, Jesus is saying the day's coming; this will be gone. And then they ask a question: Well, when is this going to happen? And Jesus launched into what is known as the Olivet Discourse, which is a long sermon about. Um, things that are going to come. Uh, It's one of those sermons that it's often quoted and stories are pulled from. My point is simply, this is not a new question. Uh, You see it when Jesus, after his resurrection, before he leaves, uh, the disciples said, are you now going to store the kingdom? In other words, are are, you know, this is the Christian belief that Jesus died, was buried, rose again from the dead, that he is the Lord, who can make us right with God. This is what Christianity is. And Jesus, and, and after that all happened, they said, okay, is it time for the credits to roll and the music to play and uh, everybody you know, goes home happy? You know, is this the end? Are you now going to establish a kingdom on the earth? And Jesus said, uh, it is not for you to know the time or the hour, um, but here's what you are to do. And then he gave them a job to be witnesses of the Christian gospel to the ends of the earth. So my point in telling those stories is that you go into the Bible. This story has been asked uh, from time, uh, from ancient time. Uh, when, uh, what does what the future hold? When does the world come to an end? What does it look like? You know, and how can I be on the right side of it? This is a question that's been around a long, long time. You know, I profess to be the dumbest person on the World Wide Web. And I, 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 I doubt I, that's true, but <laughs> I, uh, I, I think I have an ability to kind of dumb things down sometimes. And I look at end times for me, and I really feel like I've been living in them since I took my first breath. And I say that because life expectancy is 78 years. And so I've got 70, 75 years. So if end times are going to last all of these years and we're in them right now, how is that really going to affect my life and how should it? Well, because eventually um, our life doesn't, what you, what you just said. I mean, there is an end to this existence. It is there's, it's teleological in that it is moving toward an end, um, and everyone knows this. I mean, I mean, if we're talking to somebody, there may be a listener, for instance, who isn't even sure about the whole Christianity thing or not even sure about the existence of God, and yet they acknowledge that their life is going to end, you know, there's going to be an end. Uh, you look at the universe, and you see that energy moves from order to disorder, uh, you know that something, it seems, you know, that there seems to have been a beginning and at least some type of an end. So uh, the reality is we all, you know, uh, we, we think about the future. We want to be prepared for the future. We do all kinds of things to prepare for possible contingencies, like we buy insurance in case there's a fire or a flood or someone uh, breaks in or something happens because we know those things could in fact happen. Well, what we know will in fact happen is that our lives will come to an end. And it seems logical to believe that at some point, the world as we know it would end. Now, that doesn't mean we're walking around with some crazy sign predicting that it's going to happen the day after tomorrow. That quickly gets into a crazy territory. And by the way, Jesus himself said that. You're not going to know when this is going to happen. But the 
reality is, you know what? It is arrogant and presumptuous to think there won't be an end. And so I think wise people go, you know what? I need to be ready for that. And be ready right now and today for that to happen, because it, it could happen for any of us at the end. And guess what? That was your end time. And so, so for, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, the, and really that's how you live your life. And I really believe that as one matures in their spirituality and their walk, they, their, their question becomes more of what can I do to help? And not so much of begging and, and a hopium prayer. I really I was really brought up in a hopium prayer uh, type of uh, culture. It, when you look around socially at this country, and I'm going to stay away from politics. I told you I would, and I'm going to. But I know that you are never afraid, really, to address social issues from the pulpit. And I, and I like that about you when it, when it comes to biblical things. And yeah. do you feel... Do you feel like there's an opportunity for this country to have revival, to have a, a turn, to repent? And Because one, one theme that keeps recurring on our show is that every guest, whether it's someone like Julie Kelly or Juanita Broderick, Michael Johns, Corey Mills, Joseph McBride, the attorney, all of them come back to God. And all, and none of them are like you. They're not a pastor. They're not a preacher. They're secular people in this country that are fighting for this country. And they all say that. We look at Amherst College in Kentucky that had a revival of their own, and they kept politics completely out of it. And it was it was fabulous to see. Is is that possible in this country the way things are socially right now? Well, that's a great question. I, 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 the short answer would be, of course, it's possible. With God, all things are possible. And we have seen spiritual awakenings that have happened before. You can, in fact, in many ways, when you look at the history of America, you are looking at the product of religious faith and religious fervor, call it revival, renewal. Uh, no one could be a student of American history, whether they're a believer or not a believer, who does not, uh, is not aware of the great awakenings uh, that, that occurred in America, uh, where uh, it helped shape who we are as a people and influence the type of government that we have and, um, and, uh, and, and created the kind of people that could uh, function within that government. Many of our founding fathers acknowledged that our government, that is uh, a government that is necessarily limited uh, in order to guard the liberties of the people, could only function if you have a people who govern themselves reasonably well. Mm -hmm. and, the, and the only thing that governs the human heart when you look at it is this idea of moral truth, moral virtue, and ultimately it is going to come back to religious conviction, which is why there are many people, serious people who would be historians or scholars, they may not necessarily be Christians. They might disagree with my um, conviction that Jesus is divine, that he died on the cross for our sins and was raised again, that we might be made right with God. They might question that, but they would nevertheless look at the foundations of our country, the religious foundations of our country, and say, without those, you don't have America. And I would say, without those, you don't even have Western civilization. It is the bedrock for the human liberties and the freedoms that we enjoy. So to your question, 
Can there be a spiritual renewal? With God, all things are possible, and we have seen spiritual renewals happen before. However, you know, so that's one answer. The second answer I would say, and you talk about what your guests are, have reinforced in past interviews. And I would just say this, without a spiritual renewal, I mean, without a deep spiritual renewal, I think the future would be very bleak for um, Western civilization. We have imploded some of our foundations. Uh, We have bought into ideologies. This is not about left or right politically or a midpoint between two extremes. That, That is not necessarily where the truth lies. Sometimes the truth does lie in a balance between two extremes, but not always. It's not about some point on some imaginary continuum. It's about whether or not you have a true and accurate view of reality and uh, who and what human beings are. And what we are seeing is, uh, in Carl Truman's words, for instance, you have had um, a complete reordering of how we understand truth and how we understand human identity. And that is the genesis, the foundation of all the strange social battles we have from the LGBTQ, sexual identity, transgender, all these movements that are hot button issues. It's not simply about arguing whether you should draw the line here or whether you should draw the line there. The argument is now about whether or not there is such a line at all Mm -hmm. and uh, who and why you would even draw such a line. So Carl Truman talks about the, the, the fact that we now get our identity from something other than this idea of God and transcendent truth or natural law. We now get it from, uh, you know, how we feel. It's very subjective. And that has become the genesis to many of the social ills in our country. So I do not, and that's a long answer to say, I do not see much hope in simply political movements. I think we ought to work for political movements that are grounded in truth and in solid conviction. The world would be an immeasurably better place if we were to embrace certain things that are right and reject certain things are wrong. But unless there is a groundswell, and maybe by groundswell underneath the ground, unless there is a (laughs) movement in the hearts of society, the, the future looks very bleak. And don't worry about long answers. We have a half hour to fill, and people would rather hear you talk than me talk, I'm sure. You know, you mentioned Carl. I know a lot of people listening to this program right now. We have a lot of listeners in New Zealand and Australia. There is a Karl Marx, and a lot of the things that you mentioned, uh, of course, Marxism and socialism requires that first you become a god to yourself, and then eventually government becomes your god. And we see that in a lot of countries around the country. And there are a lot of people listening right now that also believe that there is that happening in this country. And you look at the ideologies of many people in politics in Washington, D.C. and around this country. And it's a fact that is their ideology when you draw in the World Economic Forum and the Great Reset and all these things that we're all dealing with. And I want you to be able to give people hope. Well, I. First of all, I do think there's great hope in because uh, God is uh, those of us who are Christians believe that there is 
one who is in control of history, that history is not spinning out of control, and that our movement is not, and I'm speaking here of those who are followers of Jesus, it is not in the hands of societal majorities, but it is in the hands of a sovereign God. So, yes, that that is the whole message of the book of Revelation, by the way, that you are going to be facing these extraordinary battles and difficulties. And yet, if we are faithful, uh, the 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 outcome is not in doubt. So to me, the hope is rooted in the Christian gospel and in the belief that the lamb, that's a symbol used in the book of Revelation for Jesus, in fact, overcomes. And I think that's a great answer. And one thing I wanted to do when you joined the conversation was because I know you're not going to talk about it, but a couple of things. I want to share that my mom has been really, really sick. She came to visit me, had a a problem, took her to the emergency room for three weeks now. She has been in the hospital, back to the hospital rehab, and that's where she is now. But one of the elders of her church flew down yesterday morning and brought hugs and cards and flew back home yesterday. And I just messaged him and I said, thank you for being Christ-like. And you know, Christianity can be displayed in so many different ways. And I know that one of the things that you are trying to do in through the church in Clearwater is plant more churches. It's something that you've been doing now for about seven years. I think you're up to 123 churches. So please tell people a little bit about that. Well, that's just part of the strategic vision of our church, which was Heard somebody say, a friend of mine, Mark Vance in Iowa, who's a pastor of a very great church. And I heard him say something and it just caught me. He said, I, we don't want, we, we realized there had to be a bigger vision than just one big church getting bigger or one mega church getting marginally better. We needed to be about a movement that was about multiplication. And that kind of realigned our strategic initiative at our church that while we want to continue to make a as big an impact as we possibly can in our community and need to do much more. We're not in anywhere close to doing everything we need to do. We also wanted to plant and invest in helping other churches. So we've at least had a part, a role in it, uh, planting many churches over these last seven years. And, and uh, because we do believe that the hope of the world is in a message that is beyond this world. Uh, what w- the kinds of things you're talking about today and that your listeners uh, are no doubt uh, I- I- intrigued by is that the world is broken. Uh, you look around and you can see brokenness. There's brokenness in politics, but it's not just politics. And it's not just the people that you disagree with politically. There's brokenness everywhere. There's evil. Um, there's there's uh, something the one of the reasons I believe the Christian gospel is it makes the best sense of the world. You look at the world and you know that it is beautiful. There is order. There's creation. It's not haphazard. There is enormous beauty and order. It gives evidence of a design of a creator, and yet it is also broken. Uh, there's evil. People do awful things, and um, and there's brokenness on the inside of us. The Bible makes perfect sense of this because God made the world and it was good and it gives evidence that there is a designer behind it all. And yet something has gone terribly wrong. What has gone wrong? The Bible answer to that is sin. And the solution is that God is in the process of making all things new. 
And this is the message of the gospel, that in Jesus, God will make all things new. So that is why those of us who are followers of Jesus put our hope in him. And, 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 and if you say, well, I'm not there yet, it's absolutely fine. I'm so grateful you're listening. But, but here's my point. The world is broken. You do acknowledge that. And where is the hope? Do you really believe in a political solution? And by the way, there are people on the, the, this is what the political left absolutely believes, that if you just had enough people, the right people, the right philosophy, and um, you gave them enough power. And enough money. And enough money that they would create a utopia. This is what Marxism and communism believes. And honestly, on the other side, it's what a fascist government believes. Totalitarians on either side believe that if they were in charge, things would be better. <laughs> and totalitarian systems do not work. They do not work. The left is more insidious because it, it, uh, it, it uses this idea of fairness and equity and this idea of you gave these people enough power and money, they would fix everything. Does anyone really believe that? Has well, it ever worked? Well, it has hasn't. it even come close to working? <laughs> it no, has. it's been a yeah. The 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 more any politician tells you they can create utopia, the more you want to run from them because those have been the worst tyrants in world history. So Christians believe the answer has got to lie outside human spectrum. We need we need the truth of God and we need the hope of God. You know, I'm pretty vocal on social media. And I'm, I don't shy away from my Christianity, and I, uh, it's really why I do so much show, social media. And I put a tweet out the other night, and it was really simple. It was, love God and love each other with a picture of nature. And yeah. that has so much to do with the gospel, and so many people don't even realize it. You know, if, if the world was that simple, which it can be, what would it be like? That goes right back to Jesus, as you know, who, when he was asked, what's the most important law? And he said, you can summarize the entire law. And he was talking about all the uh, moral truths that had been given to the Jewish people, which, by the way, stood the test of time. Uh, that worldview is a worldview upon which modern civilization has been built. The rights of man have, have uh, come about in that soil. Now, when Jesus looked at that great body of moral truth, he said, the first command is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is just like it, meaning just as important, just it goes along with it. Love your neighbor as yourself. This is the essence of the Christian message. Now, it needs to be fleshed out. What does it mean to love God? What does it mean to love others? And we will spend our life pursuing that on deeper levels. But that is ultimately what it comes down to, yes. I've said this many times about, I preach, you know, one of the things you do as a pastor is you do a lot of funerals, and I've done a lot of funerals, and um, I said, it comes down to the same thing for everybody. Yeah, I, I seldom read their resume, maybe for a minute or two. If they did a lot, like they landed on the moon or something, then you <laughs> might speak about something, you know. If you did a lot, you know, uh, you talk about that. But you talk about it in a few minutes. For everybody, it really comes down to your relationships with your family, your friends, and your faith. It comes down to God and others. That's what matters at the end. And, uh, and that's what you're getting at there. That, that is, that's where our hope lies, is 
to understand the love of God and to learn to love others. I think that's a great way to end this half hour. We've been talking to Dr. Pastor Willie Rice, my pastor at the Calvary Church in Clearwater, Florida. Thank you so much for making the time. I know you're busy, so thank you. It's been a great joy. Appreciate the privilege. Thanks to Dr. Willie Rice for joining Our Lives in Politics here in this hour. And if you happen to be in the New York area, he will be speaking at the Brooklyn Tabernacle in April. He also speaks all over the country. So go online, check out Calvary Clearwater Church, and to find out where he's going to be speaking in the country. This hour has been brought to you by 4Patriots.com. Don't forget to use that promo code out loud at checkout. Thanks so much for joining me during this hour. And also, thank you so much for being a part of America Out Loud with great programs all day long. From Dr. Peter McCullough, Malcolm Out Loud with Viewpoint on Sunday, a great show. I'm Booker Scott, and remember, you are the salt of the earth. So be salty. You've been listening to Our Lives in Politics on the America Out Loud Network.